Welcome once again to the Irish NFL podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Mark Cockrell, a fan of the, well, the opting out New England Patriots. And I'm joined, as always, by my friends Gordon Bridgefield, a fan of the putrid Pittsburgh Steelers. Good Mark, afternoon, Gordo. Mark, good to see you. And Brian O'Leary, of course, a fan of the also opting out in some respects, New York Giants. Brian, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, Gordon. So, um, guys, I mean, great to talk to you as always. Great to have a pod and have a chat about these things. And naturally, Roger Goodell loves it when the NFL is being talked about, even when there's no football being played. And we're now on the cusp of the NBA season starting. The MLB season has kicked off for their 60 days. And the NHL playoffs are due to kick off in due course. And yet all we're talking about and all the US news sports outlets are talking about are... It is the NFL and NFL opt-outs in particular, all because of this, well, somewhat arbitrary date of the 1st of August for cut, uh, for players to decide whether or not they wish to participate in the next 2020 season, um, given that they have two options if they're high risk or indeed if they just have a personal preference to opt-out. Gordo, there's lots that are taking advantage of this capability, especially as it does also afford them an accrued NFL season which is very important for the medical benefits and post-playing benefits as well. But maybe you give us a bit of a rundown on who's in and who's out in the runners and riders. Yeah, I think it's one that we've touched on. Again, Brian brought up a few weeks ago on one of the episodes. But I think just to clarify exactly what it is, so the NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed a plan that allows players to opt out of the upcoming season. I think the biggest piece here is high-risk individuals will receive at 350000 for the year. Whereas those at more low risk, and I think that's going to be generally due to family circumstances, et cetera, are only going to get 150,000. But apparently, again, listening to another podcast, Move the Sticks, if players are medically unable to play due to previous conditions, their full salary is just pushed to next year, which I wasn't fully aware of. So that's a really, really interesting one for players like Dante Hightower, who will go through. But um, I think at the moment so far, there's been about 29 players that have opted out across the league. Um, your old Pats have been the worst affected mark with about six players. Uh, in terms of some of the kind of more high-profile ones to kind of talk about, uh, I think the big ones, the Chiefs, um, their offensive guard, uh, Laurent Duvenay-Tardif, has opted out. Again, he's decided to pursue his medical profession for the year, which, again, is an interesting one for him, but it's always been more, it seems to be, his career in a, as a doctor is more important to him. And then running back, Damian Williams. So two really high-profile players from the most recent uh, Super Bowl winning team for them. Um, some other interesting ones, the Eagles, Marquise Goodwin, wide receiver. Um, be a massive, massive loss for everyone there. Um, the Giants, poor old Brian's Giants, offensive tackle, Nate, Nate Soldier. No doubt he'll have a few few words on that one. Uh, Devin Funches uh, for the Packers, another big wide receiver gone. And then the Patriots. Would you want me to go through this one nice and slowly for you, Mark? Take my time on this one. It might take a while, Gordo. It might take a while. So you've got Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, Marcus Cannon, Brandon Bolden, uh, Danny Vital, and Neji Toran. So six pro, six players. I know there are probably three, you know, world class starters across the entire league that any team would they would start for. So massive, massive loss for them. And I think that's kind of the main ones that have kind of stood out over the course of the last kind of few weeks, but more and more to follow. And one of the interesting ones is the, the McCourty brothers, according to one of the um, Patriots insiders, uh, Tom Kern, who's on the 
um, the Peter King podcast said they still haven't decided and they're very much up in the air. They don't know if they'll play. So if you lost suddenly the McCourty brothers as well, Jesus, the Patriots, like Bill Belichick, this is not something that even he can sit down and be comfortable with, you know? So, Brian, we'll get to the Pats in a second because um, obviously I have a few thoughts on that. But your thoughts on on this, particularly some of the other high-profile ones that Gordo's mentioning, and of course, starting left tackle for the Giants as well. You know, not the, Gi- the Giants one hasn't come as any surprise to anyone who follows the Giants closely. Nate Solders had cancer. His son is recovering from cancer. It was a standout that he was going to uh, be awarded the 350k as we touched on. Doesn't come as a surprise. From a playing standpoint, it sounds a bit terrible, but I actually think it will benefit the Giants in the long run because Andrew Thomas, the first round pick, was earmarked to go right tackle for a year and then move off to left tackle because a lot of people felt that Saul would move would move on next season. That'll just happen immediately. Um, he's 16 million on the cap, so they're getting that back now. Um, with a lower cap next year, which is going to be an estimated across the league, the Giants have a decision to make now. Did he hold on to that? They helped them in the li- further down the line, or do they potentially look at trying to sign players that are still available, such as Clowney, defensive end, is still out there? So, um, it didn't come as a surprise. Interestingly enough, what Gordon touched on there, the two players who I too think is a bit of a surprise in the sense that they actually haven't even played for the team and they're up to now. So, Funches, okay, he wouldn't be a major wide receiver in terms of top 10 in the league, but he's done well for the Panthers and he's gone to the Packers who could have needed a kind of a player to benefit on the other side of, of Adams. He's not, he hasn't even played for the Packers yet. And the wide receiver that the Eagles have taken up from San Francisco, Goodwin, who I think everybody's aware he's had a lot of problems, personal problems over the years with miscarriages from his wife and stuff. So he's opted out. He hasn't played for the Eagles either. So you're getting players and it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going. And just sort of one other point, Mark, you touched on the deadline. There actually isn't a deadline at the moment because that CBA adjustment hasn't been signed. So the longer that goes unsigned, there's going to be a seven-day period from the date in which it's signed. So at the moment, they're, they're hoping that the 4th of August will become the deadline. So the longer this drags on... Ah, very interesting. Sorry. The, yeah, the longer this drags on, the worse it gets for teams. Because and other people have said to me this week, fans, and I can't believe how many players are opting out. They're opting out now because this is the week to opt out. As of next week, if you haven't done it, on the basis the deadline comes and goes, you, you're expected yeah. to play. So... It's not yeah, a big and, surprise. And then, yeah, you won't have all of the other benefits, like not only the, the – I mean, it's, it's chump change for the guys who are on the multi-millions like someone like Solder, but it's still a sizable sum of money. And like I say, you get the accrued season in terms of health benefits and then everything tolls to the next year. So he still will technically be owed that $10 million, I think, Solder's on the hook for, um, unless they cut him or unless they make some other adjustment to his contractual structure. I, I think he will be caught either way. Well, the the only thing I'd say on that is Solder did start. Obviously, I remember my my history with the Pats on uh, with the Pats at right tackle. So next season, mm-hmm. do you, if the rookie's impressed this year, do you keep him for one year at right yeah, tackle? Yeah, true. Yeah, your new solution for that. Um, they'll they'll potentially have some flexibility. But look, lots of teams are going to be adjusting on the fly. Gordo, I love your call out on some of the the changes the Chiefs will have to address with. You know, I mean, they're starting right guard for sixteen games. Uh, Michael Pierce of the Vikings, their big nose tackle uh, acquisition, who's designed to shore up that run game, uh, run defense, uh, has also opted out as well, which is a big one. But you touched on it. The Pats have been the one effect, most affected by uh, opt-outs. Hightower, uh, um, Chung, and um, Cannon. Uh, out of all of them, I would say 
Hightower was probably the bit of a surprise. Cannon mm. came into the league in 2011, fifth rounder, dropped because he had Hodgkin's lymphoma at the time. So a bit like Solder, it was kind of a bit expected if there's going to be a medical opt-out, those types of guys are always going to be in the first wave of it. Uh, Chung is probably nearing some of the end of his efficiency as a strong safety, but again, young family. It's hilarious. Last last year, um, there was this whole burst of Patriots new having kids or becoming first-line fathers. Strangely, about nine months after they won a Super Bowl or something, like that. I can't imagine if there was any correlation. But um, Hightower has just become a father for the first time, um, made the decision, obviously, on a lot of personal grounds. So I read a great article where somebody was saying, well, this is the, the converse that Belichick gets for wanting smart, intelligent players who can make up their own minds. <laughs> um, a number of them will kind of go, well, hang on, why do I want to bear that risk? But for a Pats defense that already lost Jamie Collins in free agency, already lost Carl Van Noy in free agency, already lost Landon Roberts, uh, who would have been a solid backup there, there's a hell of a lot going to be riding on Jawan Bentley, who was uh, in his second year now. Um, and Hightower being gone is a, is a huge loss. There's no doubt about it. So that becomes a very weak unit altogether. So it's going to change the competitive life landscape of the NFL. And, you know, no harm, fault or criticism of anybody who's making these decisions on, you know, valid family grounds and stuff. When you're talking about a league that still hasn't given a determination on playing games in Florida or doing an isolated bubble like other leagues, um, uh, it's clear the players are voting in terms of their viewpoints uh, or a percentage of them in terms of the risk they're willing and not willing to take. So. I think I think it's a very interesting kind of perspective on a few things. Like one is that the practice squad is now being rumored to be expanded to 16 players for the coming season. So again, that's going to have a major impact. And to be honest, I think you're going to suddenly see a lot of players you normally wouldn't see throughout the year getting a lot of game time. Because uh, I think that's it's going to be sporadic throughout it. But I think one of the leading kind of people throughout the league are going to be the cap managers for all of the different franchises because although all these cap all these numbers can push towards to next year it's not as simple as well do we keep them or do we not it's can we afford to keep them on the cap number that we expect it to be lower for next season and I think that's going to be one of the massive massive points for franchise because again if the cap also gets decreased because of loss of revenue due to COVID-19 next year so I think next season like we're seeing all of the issues and the confusion and the, the delay in getting answers for this season. Next season is going to be an even greater one for, for franchises because they don't know how much money they actually have to play with and can they afford some of the players who, they, again, you know yourself, the effort and work that goes into projecting five years down the line of a, of a player's salary, it's not as simple as just pushing it into next year. They're trying to spread the dead money in terms of over the next six to seven years. So... Mm you won't see a dramatic drop in, in the cap next year and it'll just be rolled over over a couple of years, but that hasn't been agreed. Just on the Chiefs from the running back, I don't see that as a massive loss because if you looked at majority of last season, they were very much a running back by committee team. They had three or four running backs and then their first round pick um, in the draft, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I'll call it that. But he's, he's going to come in and you'd expect him to be playing pretty much immediately. You don't tend to have first round picks sitting on the sideline for too long. So I'd imagine the Chiefs are going to go, great, okay, we've got this guy in the background who can replace Williams immediately. Yeah, true, but they're going to have to, he's going to have to step up from day one. Like, that, that's going to be the... the a, good, a good team to step up with, though, isn't it? It's not, it's not the worst, Brian. It's not the worst. That's, that's to, be, to be sure. I mean, they still um, clear 
you know, Super Bowl favourites, I think it's fair to say. The, more, the longer this goes on, the more I think there's even Super Bowl favourites. Well, I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, they returned. They're the first Super Bowl team since the Seahawks, I believe, in 2013 to return all of their starters on offence and defence. And, the, you know, the Seahawks came within one miraculous interception, shall we say, by Malcolm Butler from being the first back-to-back champion since the Pats in uh, 03 04. So uh, it's certainly good omens for them um, and bad omens for the AFC. You must have seen as well, uh, Mark, Tommy and Rob, uh, Robert uh, having a bit of Twitter banter online. And again, you would imagine the further this goes on and more teams that lose their players, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers must be sitting there going, to go, Jesus, we're signing all of these... Uh, Old, old age pensioners who might just we only need them for one year and it could be the one year that's you know sorted for Tampa well the, the, the two things I'd say about that Gordo is unfortunately as old age pensioners they fall into the high risk category so that's already a worry for Tampa Bay and I mean, of all the places I would rather be in the world right now the middle of Florida in the current epidemic going on is not high on my list, to be honest with you. You wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't figure that from Tom Brady and all of his posts anyway. He seems to be enjoying his time, isn't it? I know. But I mean, him and Robert. Robert. What do you mean, him and Robert. I know. I thought that was brilliant when he did say that actually on Twitter. Is like, yes, Robert, I agree. Um, the one thing that shocks me about, about this, though, is, and I don't want to dwell too much on the practicalities. We don't know all the practicalities of how it's going to work. But MLB was back for two games. And the Marlins, Miami Marlins, had 15 players and coaches test positive. They had three positive, and they still went ahead with a game against, I think it was the Phillies. Um, And now they have 15, and games against Miami are currently suspended. We need to remember, we do have three NFL teams in the state of Florida. Um, It is still the epicenter at the moment in the U.S. And, okay, it was New York before. Maybe it'll be Texas next again, and that has a second surge. Maybe it's going to be California, where we have a, a number of teams again. The thing is, Mark, just on that note, this isn't a baseball podcast, so we won't go too much into it. But the, <laughs> I'm just saying, for the purposes of NFL, though, Brian. I, I appreciate that, because everybody's focused on what the other leagues are doing. But the players didn't follow the protocol. They were all given a 130-page MLB protocol, what to do. And by all accounts, the WhatsApp group on the morning of the game had three or four players saying, I'm not feeling well, I shouldn't be playing. And their captain... Rojas said, ah, come on, let's get on with it. We're players. And they went out and played the game. But no, no other player has tested positive on the back of that. It's just been confirmed. Phillies, Yankees. So Derek, everybody else is clean, with the exception of the Marlins. All, all I can say is, you can imagine the NFL coming out with a similar 130-page, 140-page document on the protocols they're going to follow. There are players in the NFL who can't follow simple directions of up and down. So how they'll follow that 130, 140-page <laughs> document will be beyond me, to be honest with you. I oh, know, I agree. I agree. Yeah, true. I wasn't offside, was I? Um, sorry. Harking back to glory days. Okay, let's shift it up, though, from opt-out. From people that are going to make 350 or 150K uh, next year, which isn't to be sniffed at, of course, um, there's a person who's going to make significantly more. So it was mooted at one point. I saw a great line that, the person who's probably had the best off-season was Christian McCaffrey because he not only signed his massive deal, but he was trapped in lockdown with his Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover model girlfriend for about three months, which sounds... And then he got a 99 rating on Madden. No, tough times, basically. But 
Uh, Gordo, Joey Bosa hasn't had a bad offseason either, uh, especially not considering the contract he's just signed. No, a uh, great offseason for Bosa. And I think the Bosa brothers and the family in general are shrewd operators when it comes to dealing with contracts. Generally, when both have come out of uh, the draft, their fathers made sure they've held out until they've gotten as much of the guaranteed uh, rookie contracts as possible. But yeah, Joey Bosa is staying in Los Angeles for the long haul. So just signed a 135 million contract extension with the Chargers. Uh, includes 102 million in guaranteed with 78 million fully guaranteed at signing. So it's a whopper contract. And again, doesn't surprise me considering uh, the previous contracts that uh, Joey has signed and also his brother has signed in, in San Francisco. And I suppose it does come down to he is a, a premier uh, tackle or a, a defensive player. Is he as good as his brother is the big question because he's just behind him in the, in the list of the top 100 NFL players that was released there recently. But uh, I think, yeah, it makes sense for the Los Angeles uh, Chargers just to sign him and lock him up for the future. I think the 49ers better win a Super Bowl soon because if he's getting paid that kind of money, he won't be down until the brother is knocking on John Lynch's door looking for something similar. Nick will definitely be in there. I mean, I think it's remarkable on the money involved. You think about it. If we go to a game now between the uh, Chargers and the Chiefs and he runs into Patrick Mahomes, they both suffer unfortunate injuries that are both career-ending, he ends up with more money than Mahomes because Mahomes' guarantee was only $63 million. So, um, you know, it's worth reiterating that the Chiefs didn't do terribly out of that deal as well and that no. Mahomes' long-term... Uh, financial benefit is tied inextricably to him staying healthy, um, which isn't as easy with great pass rushes around the place. But yeah, great deal for him. Great for the Chargers to lock him up, but may contribute to more salary cap challenges down the road, especially in a uncertain future. Um, there was also one guy who had a lot of uh, uncertainty in his future. He was certainly uh, angling for greater certainty or greater money, at least, for a period of time. A little gentleman named, by the name of Jamal Adams, it was making it very clear with the Jets that he either wanted more money or he wanted out. And one thing had to give, and he didn't get more money. Um, but Brian, he, he definitely got out uh, in the end. He did, yeah. And the last podcast we did, we didn't think that would actually happen. We felt uh, yeah. Joe Douglas would stand his ground. But I think it became inevitable since then. In particular, last week when he gave an interview um, in which he completely slated Adam Gaze. And it doesn't come as a surprise because I... I think most Jets fans who listen to this or who we talk to would say, yeah, Gaze isn't the long-term answer in terms of head coach. But, and to be honest, when you read what Adam said, it, a lot of it sounds probably true, but you can't be coming out like that and showing your head coach under the bus. And I think it got to a stage where he was just beginning, was becoming tiresome in terms of his continuous, continuous arguments to get out of the Jets. Slightly surprised it was Seattle in the end, but at the same time, Seattle do see themselves as a serious contender. They're in a very difficult division with the 49ers. And uh, yeah, it's a big trade, giving away a lot, two ones, next two years. I think they've, they've sent back a middle-range middle safety to replace them. Um, it's, it's hard to say who's the winner here because the Jets are not going to be any better for the trade. And does it put Sam down in a kind of a position where he gets an, another year, you know, in terms of the pressure? Because I don't think the Jets are going to be up to much. And he could arguably turn around and say, we're, we're back in a rebuild mode because we've given away potentially our best player on defense. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like the, the Jets will now certainly have to draft capital to move around a board if they 
see someone that they find attractive in the next uh, draft, for example, if they fancy that even Darnold isn't the long-term solution if they came to that conclusion this year. Like, do you now have the power to go up and maybe get a Trevor Lawrence or something? You know, Jets fans will dream about that, and I can understand that piece. Um, I'm actually amazed they got as much as they did. I know we've seen a little bit of a spate of uh, a couple of firsts being traded for people who only have a year or a year or two left in their contract. Jalen Ramsey was one, Laramie Tunsil to the Texans, and across the board, everyone slated them. I mean, the Tunsil trade was still completely bizarre, but. The Seahawks have done exactly the same thing that the Texans did. They've traded away two firsts. They've only got well, – they, sorry, they've got one extra year. They've got two years of control uh, over uh, Adams in relation to it. So they've a bit of time to negotiate a deal. But they've traded for a player who's already said, I want a mega bucks contract. And two firsts for a safety for me is a very high price. I mean, I, I don't know. I applaud Douglas in one respect of he's got a decent return there for a player who was being very adamant he did, no longer wanted to play for the Jets. So I think uh, I think the big piece is John Schneider, the, the Seahawks GM, uh, was saying recently um, to Peter King that this has been a discussion that's been going on for quite a while with Joe Douglas. As in, this isn't just something that came out of nowhere, although it does feel like that at times. It's one that has been happening since pretty much the end of last season, apparently. Um, and I think the way John Schneider kind of, I suppose justified giving up the two ones was based on where the Seahawks would be generally picking the first round of most drafts mm-hmm. um, and putting the value on that. And I think it's a fair valuation. They would generally be in the, the bottom half of the draft most years with their number one picks. So then it comes down to quantifying the value for Adams and he is one of the better safeties out there. Um, but yeah, the problem is now that they're going to have to pay him as well. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. He has given them a bit of grace period. Where, which he wasn't given to the Jets. He's agreed that basically this year we, we called it quits and we'll have the conversation at the end of the yeah, year. So yeah, because back. all of a sudden now he thinks, okay, I've got an opportunity to go and win a Super Bowl. I mean, the, yeah, the thing is, and you can only weigh up Adams a little bit in a bad enough Jets team. Um, and obviously he's been super impressive in relation to it. But the one thing I come back to is the Seahawks are paying him and treating him like he's old Thomas. But he plays more like a cam chancellor. So, you know, he's more of that in the box, that hybrid defender, that, uh, that strong safety, as opposed to that free roaming safety. That can pick up. I mean, I think he's got two inceptions in his career altogether so far. So he's not going to play that deep middle in a cover three they like to play. So look, Schneider has earned the benefit of the doubt. Pete Carroll and his work with defensive backs um, has definitely earned the benefit of the doubt. And so they know what they're doing, but that's the bit that intrigues me. And, you know, it's not like they haven't made mistakes before with Percy Harvin or even Jimmy Graham to a point, you know, um, there's, uh, there's elements they could do better. So we'll see. Where does it leave the Jets in the long run? This season, you could argue is it is gone. You know, they're going to be up against it anyway this year with an improving Dolphins team. We expect the Patriots still have a strong outfit. And obviously you, you think Buffalo is, Favorite for the division. Favorite in division, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I have to look up the stat, but I remember seeing like the the, the pyramid of sadness before about Jets. I, I I must get this accurate, but I think they've only made the playoffs like eight times in their history, or something. It's something ridiculously low. Um, you know, it just, it just goes to show what a good job Rex Ryan actually did do. To be to be fair to him, um, for that short period of time, it was the first nuance of um, meaningfulness of the Jets for since probably Namath. Um, so yeah, 
he did something in a very difficult, different market. Um, and they're still the baby brother to the Giants as well, which pisses them off, I'm sure. So Absolutely. All of these things come up. Um, on contracts, though, one person didn't get an extension, which was Jamal Adams, but one person did. Um, not a player this time. We talked about Kyle Shanahan before, and now his uh, GM running mate, effectively, John Lynch has got a contract extension. Gordo, you want to give us the details on this? Yeah, uh, I think we kind of expected this to, to happen. I think it was just pretty much when um, more than uh, when it was going to happen. So I suppose his runs up now till 2024, so finishes just the year before Kyle Shanahan's. Uh, and it just makes sense when you look at where John Lynch has come from in terms of the season before he joined the 49ers. The 49ers finished 2-14. and 14. Um, Within his first season then, they finished 6-10, and 10, largely thanks to Garoppolo coming in. Obviously, the following season... Due to the injury to Garoppolo, they fell back to 4-12. and 12. But I think the biggest part was most of the groundwork had been done, which led to the phenomenal season we saw um, the San Francisco 49ers have last year. And I think it's worth noting the sort of players that Lynch has brought in. So, again, Lynch is the man that's responsible for drafting Debo Samuel, um, tight end superhero George Kittle, uh, offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey, um, Nick Bosa, who we've just briefly touched on a few minutes ago, and his brother, uh, and then also Kyle Juzek in terms of the fullback and Richard Sherman. So he's built a really formidable 49ers roster and with a huge focus on the defense, which again, considering his background with the 2000 uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it, it just makes sense. And I think it's just at the moment, 49ers are in a great place. So don't fix something that's not broken, you know? Yeah. I mean, two two comments I just have on that is one, I'm not going to give him credit for Kyle Juzek because that's still the worst contract probably in football in terms of the overpayment for a fullback it is unreal i i just i'll say my piece i think it's that is ridiculous um but the other thing about lynch i always love when it was uh because he's done everything he's been player he's been the analyst on fox and now he's now doing the gm and he's doing a great job at it but there's a great story i remember he told on uh, a game one time where the pats had him in i think it was 03 02 03 03 i think it was where Belichick had this view kind of ahead of his time saying, hey, you used to play strong safety. Could we convert you maybe to a hybrid player, monitoring tight ends, playing a bit of linebacker with some coverage responsibilities? And, you know, um, and he came into training camp with the Pats and it was his final season. And after a few training sessions, uh, Belichick called him into his office and said, John, just want to say, like, you're a Hall of Fame safety but you are without a doubt the worst linebacker I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> just couldn't get it at all. So he tells that story uh, on his, on the, the broadcast and everything. So it seems like he's got a good sense of humor. So yeah. The only, the only surprise was the deal wasn't done in the round the same time as Shanahan got the deal. Because I remember me and Mark, we, we had a conversation and we were wondering, was there something gone amiss there? But the fact that Shanahan, who arguably has probably thrown away two Super Bowls, shall we say, certainly didn't do himself any any benefit in terms of how we called the last quarter of each uh, each game, referring to the Falcons when he was coordinator and obviously the recent Super Bowl. And then he got the contract very quickly after the game, where Lynch didn't, obviously, till the past week. And people were kind of wondering, is there something something in the offing here that maybe Lynch isn't going to be staying long-term? But look, it's done. And obviously, these things take time. It's a good fit. They seem to work well together. Yeah. 
Uh, good news for 49er fans generally. And actually keeping the good news going, because we all need a bit of good news in these times, gents. Um, uh, our new rookie quarterback class seemed to be coming together appropriately. Uh, Joe Burrows has signed his contract, so he's all locked down with the Bengals now and can attend training camp. And Tua, 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 Tua Galova, we'll go for, has passed his uh, physical with the tuna. So, uh, again, he's therefore cleared to begin resumption of football activities. Um, so, good yeah. to see the two rookies coming back on. I was listening to another Bear podcast last night, and he says, uh, where normally come training camp, you have these back and forth conversations on who's going to win, who's going to win the quarterback battle. But obviously, the, the way things are now in COVID, you'll find very early on that the teams will confirm who the quarterback is. Unless something miraculous happens in, in training camp, it'll stay that way, where up to other seasons, up to probably the last week, you're kind of touch and go whether the rookie will be stepping in. But they expect that Taylor will confirm Burrow, which is obviously a given. He'll be starting. He'll confirm that immediately. And Tua won't, that they will be going with Fitzpatrick for the start of the season. Just feel there's too many unknowns with that's gone on over the past few months and with no pre-season games coming up to even give him an opportunity to play and get used to the system, it's too big a risk for him to go in week one, in particular against the Pats in Foxburg. Yeah, no, um, 100%, 100%. So yeah, all of these nuances of the new COVID world are going to be um, a challenge, to say the least. Um and look, it feels um, kind of morbid or inappropriate in some respects with, you know, so much um, loss going on in the world. But um, we were talking the other day just about, um, you know, it's not just these players that are opting out that we, hey, we've been almost robbed as fans of a season of their great play and stuff. But there's uh, actually, when you think about it, there's a long list of different players over the years who, you know, probably left the game too soon. I mean, some to horrific injuries like Joe Tiesman on the infamous, uh, well, famous slash infamous uh, Lawrence Taylor tackle. But some have just decided, hey, I've had enough um, these days in relation to it. You know, um, it's not like, uh, again, we've had loss when it, it comes to, um, um, you know, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to mess up his name, uh, Pat Tillman, um, who obviously died in giving service. And some that have died in accidents or tragic uh, scenarios like uh, the 49ers safety uh, Sean Taylor back in the day as well um, due to other circumstances but what we're talking about now is more people that just voluntarily decided to walk away from the game and uh, as a little a kind of parlor game almost guys I mean knocking about who is the best player who has ever just decided do you know what I'm done too too early I mean clearly Brett Favre is not going to feature in this category nor is Dan Marino for example I was going down the Brett Favre room. I thought you might do. I, I thought you might do. But no, I mean, someone in their, their athletic prime, if you like, who's just gone too soon. Gordo, kick it off with you. Well, the most obvious one I can't speak upon a little bit before my time, but you guys might touch on him, Barry Sanders. Um, so again, you know, just, just saying, a little bit before my time, lads, so you might want to touch on that one for, for the listeners at home. Uh, but for me personally, it has to be Calvin Johnson, Detroit Lions. Um, like that is one of the players that kind of got me into the NFL back in 2007 and moving forward and he was just an absolute beast and again he retired at the top and this is the thing I think for us we were just kind of fingering who retired while they were still at their prime and had so much to offer and that's what made this so much fun to kind of look through and for me it had to be Calvin Johnson six straight years with a thousand plus yards 
uh, just didn't slow down. Even in his final year, he was ranked 10th in receiving yards with nine touchdowns. And again, he gave the reasoning being um, that just the Lions were never really in contention to win anything. So he didn't really want to go through another year or two of, you know, the heartbreak of playing football just for making yards, etc. And I think then it also led to, and we've seen it, the, I suppose, the, the discomfort and, I suppose, uh, miscommunication between the Detroit Lions and Calvin Johnson now, even presently, he's not really involved with the, the team in anything post-retirement. But, yeah, for me, it has to be Calvin Johnson, age 30, just retired when he was just an absolute freak. So, Gordo, uh, sorry, Brian, Gordo's shots fired there on age comparisons with the Barry Sanders reference. Anybody that springs to mind for you? I mean, Sanders does spring to mind, to be honest, more than... I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to give you two. Uh, one, one very recent, Andrew Luck, quarterback of the Colts. I mean, that Colts team... They're no. I, I said I said good players. Oh but. well, I would I would class Andrew Luck as a very good quarterback before he retired. And that Colts team, I mean, now everybody's talking about Rivers coming in potentially. He's the man that's going to bring them to the promised land because they were a very good team before Luck moved off, and then they got a lot of injuries last year, and then obviously their quarterback play was a bit upset, was up and down. But now they're saying Rivers could potentially get them all the way and certainly challenging the Ravens and the Chiefs and look you know I think he, if he had a hung around but I think as you said he was doing it for the the good of himself in the long term he didn't want to find himself in his late 30s and be crippled with injuries I mean, he's only 30 years of age now and then I'll give you a controversial one Aaron Hernandez what a tight end he was Jesus Christ so we have to go there sorry but he, you know if you look at the play uh, I, I think my favourite player Hernandez actually was in the Super Bowl against the Giants when he went up to catch that Hail Mary at the end and he just couldn't pull it in. You know, and then poor Gronk came up behind him with his dodgy knee and he couldn't pull it in either. That was that was a great play. Jesus Mark, we should have uh, we should have set out some more uh, stringent guidelines on, uh, how, on, on how to pick players. <laughs> Maybe Bill Belichick should as well, you know, when he's picking players oh, like Aaron Hernandez. God almighty, but, well, but yeah, seriously, he seriously, what a player though. Yeah. Moving yeah. swiftly on. Oh, well, I mean, I, I could bring up Plasco Burris shooting himself in the foot, but we, we just want well, to He kept playing, though, so he didn't well, just I know, um, just to close it out, I would say Barry Sanders every day of the week, to be honest with you. He was absolutely electric. Probably, he was, sorry, still the best running back I've ever seen. Um, fantastic player. I don't think it's coincidence that we're talking about Barry Sanders and uh, Calvin Johnson, both Detroit Lions players. Who uh, both decide to retire too soon, but I will just throw in three more names just gemming into the mix. Not maybe the greatest players, but kind of an interesting development. In the trend luck, I I jest about. He's a fantastic player, and yes, belongs in this conversation. But you know, Luke Keekley and Patrick Willis, two very high-profile linebackers. Yeah, maybe a bit more health-related, particularly in Keekley's case, but way too early in you know all-pro, all-star careers. Um, and one that goes under the radar, not the greatest player ever, but Chris Borland, who was a teammate of Patrick Willis's, but was only 24 when he said, I think only in his third year, actually, he'd only played two years, stepped ably into the gap and just kind of went, no, actually, you know, permanent head injuries and all the medical evidence, I'm just stepping away from this. So an interesting, mature decision. And, by... two, and two serious players, again, that the 49ers had uh, walked away. Yeah, yeah, that could have made it even a more impressive team yeah. <laughs> at the moment yeah. in relation to it. But, um, you know, uh, a couple of players that made very um, mature decisions for their own health, um, looping us back to where we started, which is 
an environment where we have NFL players making mature decisions for their so own. It's just, uh, just on that. So the last couple of days, obviously not ourselves, but other fans have been commenting on, oh my God, there's players on, going on the COVID list and there's players opting out. But all of this has to be done now. Like I, I'd imagine in a couple of weeks' time, I'd like to think all of this, but it's not going to go away. But we'll, we'll settle down when you be in a training camp situation and it will feel a little bit more business as usual. Because the COVID, they're all getting three tests when they arrive. And people are going on the COVID list. It's not because they have it. It's because they've done the tracing. It's part of the protocol that's been signed off by the, PA, the NFLPA and the NFL League. And yeah, they've been in contact with someone who's had COVID. So they have to go off and they're deemed to be on the list. So there's a Dolphins player, I can't recall his name. He went on the list on Monday. He's already off the list and he's in. So people just need to take a step back and stop panicking. We might, we will get there. There will be a season. Um, there will be a season, but we're going to have flare-ups during the year. I mean, my favourite story at the moment in the sports press is about the NBA with their wonderful bubble, keeping everyone in Disneyland, locking them all away, you know, converted a bowling arena to a washing machine facility, for example. And yet, um, who was it? Was it Williams uh, was, uh, has now got to be put in 10-day quarantine because he visited a, an adult entertainment uh, location off-site because he loves their chicken wings and needed to get some of their chicken wings. Like, which, like, yourself, like yourself, Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently the chicken wings are very nice, uh, Brian, um, uh, for all the council purposes. But the point being is that in an environment whereby NFL players aren't within that restriction are going to be flying randomly to different cities and different locations on a regular basis um to think that we're not going to have an nfl season which is in some way affected or impacted by it i just think is um in some way naive as well i say like i mean you know what what if a patrick mahomes tests positive for covid i mean physically he could be fine but you can't let him on the field. And I think we touched on this before. It's like your backup quarterback could be very important this season because um, what about your strength and depth? Uh, again, in a normal season, I'd love the Pats' chances of Belichick find a few diamonds in the rough in um, um, uh, un uh, undrafted free agency and, you know, kind of a Dion Lewis that have been hidden away. But again, you can't even have a normal training camp because they can't have the same amount of practices and pads. So how can you test players' capabilities. There's going to be so much learning on the fly this year. I think it's going to be very, very strange. But uh, I think uh, I think this is going to be one of those seasons, as you say, Mark, where we will have an NFL season. It, it will happen. But I think the look, the feel, the players that are going to play, it's going to be so cha changing every week. And I think even on fancy, like, I know it's not a priority, but fancy football this year, is in, it's, it's never going to be a simple point of picking a player. I think by the end of the season, you're going to hear of players breaking through that would never have had the opportunity beforehand uh, and probably may not get it again next year, but this could be the year to see some shining lights. I don't think you're going to see players breaking many records this year um, because, again, I do think, as you say, all it's going to take is one player to test positive and he's going to miss two weeks, which potentially is two games. And I think that's going to become a regular thing with all the teams throughout the league. Um, so, yeah, I think this year is going to be very stop-start and I think it's probably going to be the most open for any team to potentially do well. I also think people need to not forget about the fact that during preseason, the main players, your Mahomes and all the quarterbacks, and you know, they don't play anyway. And the product on the field, week one to week four, give or take, is usually good because we're all happy that the season's back. But 
by, lar- by and large, it's not a good product on the field. Come October, November, you start to see the season really improve. I would imagine we'll see maybe a slightly longer period, but by October, November, if we are having a season and it's deemed to be normal, things will settle down. Well, Camille, I want to throw one random thing that's just popped into my head at the two of you. Say we get to the AFC-NFC Championship Games next year. COVID is still, you know, there's no vaccine. It's still a, 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 an ongoing pandemic. Um, maybe different hotspots in different places in the US, right? If you win the AFC Championship, so let's say, just imagine you're the Kansas City Chiefs, basically. Um, do you quarantine and lock down the team in a bubble for two weeks? Because I yeah. actually say yeah, you would kind of make take no chances whatsoever. But then I also think, imagine the mental strain that's going to be on players in that environment as well. Like even even the normality of, uh, oh, we've won the championship game, now we go and get the Super Bowl and do things. It, it will be just fundamentally different because you'll have different value true. judgments at that point. True, but another thing, the strain of a week of a Super Bowl where you're continuously doing interviews to the media in the stadium – they, that's all going to go away. You're not going to do that this time around. That's not happening anymore. You'll do it. Uh, and, I, and I think the biggest piece is that, uh, again, they haven't confirmed it yet, but they, they need to, and it's, it's probably the piece I still don't understand with Goodell, is they need to be playing in empty stadiums. And I think the Super Bowl, regardless, is going to be played in a somewhat empty stadium. There is no way that will happen. So I think if you make it to the Super Bowl, yeah, you're going to quarantine for two full weeks and... Uh, players are going to do that if they have to because they're, they're going to be like well this is just for a once in a lifetime opportunity but I do think it's going to be a completely different end of season to anything we'll ever ever experience again like Joe George is just going to say to the Giants players well you know look two more weeks quarantine we're in the Super Bowl you know and then you can go and do whatever you want and then, and then you wake up the next morning out of your dream Brian. <laughs> yeah yeah Joe, Joe Judge likes phoning up Kansas City and San Francisco on a regular basis. Everybody, everybody can uh, dream in August or July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... and then September comes and it turns into a nightmare pretty quick. Yeah. So we're playing we'll Steelers all... week one. This is going to be great. This... Well, Super Bowl 55 will be played next season, uh, uh, allegedly still, in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa in Florida. Um, and yeah, six months away from that, guys. I'm not sure. Seven months away from that, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be the greatest environment or place to be playing a, a Super Bowl um, as things stand. But we will see. We'll get some sport back on. We'll get some NFL back on in very, very short course. We are T minus two months, or T minus, well, no, sorry, T minus five weeks to the start of the season. So uh, it's coming uh, thick and fast, and we look forward to it immensely. Um, gents, we will talk more about our preseason predictions, Super Bowl picks, MVP picks, and the whole shebang as much as we can guess in this around strange environment in due course. Um, but for now, I think I'll wrap things up. Gordo, thank you as always. Thank you, Mark. Brian, thank you as always, sir. Thanks, guys. All right. And that's all from us, guys. Take it easy and talk to you next time.